Hey, Exodus chapter 3 is where I want to start tonight. Diane and I are going to do a tag team here. I'm going to start, and she's going to finish in this, uh, in this first session. So I wish I had time to tell you how much I love you, how much we love you, how much we've prayed for you over the last 20-plus years. So exciting to see where the Lord's taking you. And we want to just point to him tonight as we talk about this important theme, and as we've sung about the Holy One and his work in our life. So Exodus chapter 3 is the first Ignite conference, I think, in the history of the world. You're a part of that in what you're doing this weekend. And it's also the place where the great I Am tells us his name, Yahweh. So he describes his nature, I am that I am. I am all being, I'm ultimate, but I want to tell you my name. That's how close I want you to come to me. So it's an intriguing chapter, one of those pivotal chapters in all of human history. I want to read the first six verses, though. Three and one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire, that's the ignite part, flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I think she was 15 uh, at the time, and uh, she came to me after a meeting just like this. It's always frightening when somebody comes to you and you can tell in their face they have a really hard question. And her question, her name was Shoshana, I found out later, 15-year-old Shoshana. She asked me, sir, is what you just preached ultimate reality? I'd never been asked that ever in my life, and it frightened me. I thought to myself, is what I just preached real? Is it ultimately real? Is it pointing people to what is most important? It's a very shocking and hard question for any teacher or preacher, anyone. And I want to say to you tonight that I don't know much about the Bible. Your pastors here know much more than I do. Diane knows much more than I. But I'll tell you, when I read the Bible, the word that comes forefront to me, there are two words, but the first word that comes to forefront to me is the word holy. If you want to know what's ultimately real, who the great I am is, why he gives us his name, the answer is because he's holy. And that means that all of us need to know something about that holiness. We need to know who it is, the one who describes himself. I'm intrigued that when Moses comes to this place, he comes to a mountain you hear about for many, many books. This is the mountain of the Lord. This is Mount Sinai. He doesn't know it, but he's at the mountain where God's going to reveal himself in a few short months in all those fantastic and fire-filled ways. The mountain's going to be aflame. God's going to be at the top of it with flames of fire erupting out of the mountain, giving us his nature, his law. It's an astounding thing what's about, but Moses has no clue. He's simply an octogenarian who is an ex-con who lives in a pagan priest's home who is running for his life and has no purpose. He's on the backside of nowhere, herding sheep, and God shows up In that context, I don't know where you are tonight, I don't know where I am tonight, but if you feel like the Lord doesn't know who you are, what you're facing, what you're going through, just read this paragraph. 
The Holy One, out of all the universe, shows up here in the backside of nowhere for an event. It is an event. That's why we have events. Now, it's not just events. Something comes out of this, but it's a meeting. It's a confrontation with the Holy One. Now, Moses has no clue. He's just intrigued by what happens. Now, I'm intrigued by this. Let me just say this. This church is based upon this. There are only two ways to know who reality. One is revelation. The other is your own mind. And you and I in America are living between those two choices every single day. The Word of God by the Spirit of God to me or my mind. And you can take the mind and end up like Midian, priests, like his father-in-law, or you can end up where Moses ended up. That's the choice every person has. I either go with my mind, he reveals me to me who I am and who he is, he knows my name, he tells me his name, and he says, by the way, the ground you're standing on is holy because I'm here. Or you can say, I'm gonna run my own life. I'll make life make sense. I'll make all this fit together. Now I'm intrigued, he says his name twice. I love this. I've run this through the entire Bible. There are eight times, I won't do it tonight, but eight times people speak the names twice. The first one is before this, excuse me, in Exodus, in Genesis, it's Hagar, an Egyptian concubine. And he says to her twice, Hagar, Hagar. He, the Lord, the Holy One, wants to meet every single person in the universe, in the world. He loves all of us the same. He knows our name. He knows your name. And I believe tonight and every night, he's calling your name twice so you can hear him, your personal name. He wants to communicate. He wants to reveal himself. But I'm intrigued how he reveals himself. One of my favorite authors in Christian literature is Samuel Brengel. He's a Salvation Army guy early on in our history. And he said, what I think everybody knows, we need a whole God. Not just the part we like, not just the part my denomination talks about or my theology books. I need a God who's complete because I'm a complete mess. I need a God who completely reveals himself to all of my wild, crazy mind and heart. I need a whole God. So when anybody asks about holiness, I say, well, it's got to be at base, wholeness. The wholeness of God is his holiness. You can't take one part and say, I like that, and I don't like this. In the Bible, he comes as a whole, complete being, and he reveals himself to us in loving and very patient ways, but it always points back to his holy nature. His mercy is holy. His sovereignty is holy. His kindness is holy. His goodness is holy. His love is holy. And somehow in America, in our church, in our theology, we've sort of separated and said, holy is for that negative Old Testament stuff. I like the love stuff. And you and I meet Jesus, and we can't make sense of what he, he's talking about. I've read Luke with you. I'm reading it as you read it. Part of my devotion for the year. And I found that several times when Jesus reveals himself, he says some really nice things. Then he says things like this, I'm going to cast fire out of heaven. That's a Jesus that we don't really often hear about. I will cast fire, like he says, like I cast on Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Luke. So I want to know what a whole God. I don't want to play around with parts of God, things I choose or I like. Now, just, in, in just for the whole Bible, I want to say holiness means a whole salvation. Now, Moses has no idea about this, but he's about to offer salvation to an entire culture about the size probably of this city. That many people, maybe more, he says, I'm gonna take you out of a, 
bondage and oppression. It's like leading an entire city in Ukraine to freedom and confronting a tyrant like Putin. Pharaoh was Putin in those days. And the Lord says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to offer you that life in this place. A full salvation. But you know what happens when this person comes. He comes to a country, to a place where Egypt is in the hearts of the people. So he gets them out of Egypt, but they still have Egyptian idolatry in their hearts. And the Lord says, I want to save you from that. And I want to say to you, in the church that I'm a part of in America, which I think is a lot like your church, I think, in this city, a lot of people don't believe that's possible. They don't mind getting rid of sins, but not the sin in their heart, not the Egyptian idols in our hearts. We feel like we're stuck with that. And the Lord says, no, I'm holy, and I want to make you whole. That means I care about your addictions and your perversions and all the stuff that hangs on your life, but I want to get to the source of it. I want to go right to the heart that is not holy and make your heart like mine. In Hebrew, it's interesting. A liar is a person who has a tongue and a tongue, two tongues. You never know which tongue they're using. The word for a hypocrite is a person who has a heart and a heart. They have two hearts. So you, you never know what heart they're going to be using. They love you this day and they don't love you the next day. It's a hypocritical love. And God says in the Bible, Psalm 86, 11, I can make your heart a whole heart. Two hearts, one heart. Holiness. And it's intriguing, when I come to the church, when we talk honestly at coffee time or Bible studies, most people are reserved about holiness. It's like it freaks us out. Like, well, that's for some elite crew, some really unique people. And the Lord says, no, it's for people like Moses. Nobody cared about him. Nobody thought he was a great person. He's in the backside of nowhere, like Hagar, on the backside of nowhere. An Egyptian woman with nobody to care for her. And God says, Hagar, Hagar, I'm going to bless the history of the world through your son. And Moses, if you follow me, I'll make your heart so, so much like mine that you can lead an entire nation into freedom. And 4,000 years from now, people in Salt Lake City will move into freedom because you said yes to who I am. So as Di and I talk about this, and she's going to come and talk about Jesus here in a minute, I just want to say to you that holiness is not something you and I dream of because it's an ancillary, secondary factor. For the Lord, he's saying in all of the Bible, even right here, if you come to me, this is Jesus speaking, if you come to me, the ground on which I stand is holy. It never changes. I don't know about you. I want to be holy. I, I want to know what that means. I don't want freaky, weird stuff. And I look at Moses, I think, what's well, not so freaky and weird? The Lord said, just walk with me. Just obey the next thing I say. Don't disobey me. Just trust me. And if you trust me and you walk with me, and apparently anybody in the Bible who does that, the Lord says, you're what I want. There's no reser reservation. And when there is, we deal with it. Every reservation, every place where Moses thinks he's not good enough or smart enough, the Lord says, wait a minute, I am that I am. I'm holy. And by the way, Moses, I want to make all these people holy. Holy nation, royal priesthood. And I'm intrigued. In the generations of the church, 
only a few people actually say, you know, I really believe that. Most of us stay in Egypt or just outside. We like the bondage. You know, kind of like, it's kind of why we come to the altar. Just get, get rid of the bondage. The Lord says, no, I want to move you so far beyond that. It's not just that you lie. I want to teach you and train you and change you in terms of why you lie. Why you're lusting. Why? It's your heart, not the temptations. It's your heart. You're curved in on yourself. I want to turn you outside yourself. And so I find that all over the Old Testament, God is screaming as loudly and as lovingly as he can, I want you to be like me. I can do this for you. An entire salvation. This this last thing and I'm done. The Lord comes to a man like this, and I'm intrigued he starts with dirt. I'm very intrigued with that. The God of the universe, the place on which you stand is holy ground. If God can make dirt holy, he can make me holy. And you well as well. But we've got to believe him to do that. And he does that, intriguingly, when he sent his son who took on our dust. And with that, I want Diane to come and share in that regard. He was just getting rolling. (laughs) Should have just let him keep right on. I just want to just follow right in with what Bill was saying. Uh, And I want to focus on what Jesus has to do with our holiness. Who is this Jesus? Sometimes I hear people talking about Jesus as if he's God's little helper. God sent him because he needed somebody to die to forgive us. And that's about all he is. That's that's all about all we know about Jesus. And one time I was riding in the car and my two grandsons were in the back seat and my four-year-old grandson said, something about Jesus is the son of God. And the two-year-old took his passy out and said, no, Ryland, Jesus is God. (laughs) I was like, bam. So that's what we're going to talk about. I want you to know that Jesus is the great I am. He is the one who appeared in the bush. You know that? You know how many times Jesus referred to himself as the I am? Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And he came in the flesh. And why did he come? He came to make us everything that he teaches us we should be. Let's say that together. Jesus came to make us everything he teaches us that we should be. Isn't that good news? Is this thing working? (laughs) Yeah, there we go. All right. So, um, Christianity is very real. It's very gritty. It's not a philosophy. It's not a bunch of ideas. It's real flesh and blood. Christianity is revealed in Jesus Christ. Christianity is a person who has come from outside the world, this created world, and he comes in us to allow us to live in the world without being seduced constantly by despair. 
and lostness and darkness. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He is the life. I love this scripture. It's one of my very favorites in all the world. In Christ, the fullness of God, all of deity, lives in a human body. So you, all of us, also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler, over every authority, all those demons we sing about, all the Putins in the history of the world. He's the head over it all. Our faithful surrender to Jesus and the receiving of the fullness of his life brings us into union with God, union with Jesus. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me over all flesh, over all of our lives. He's been given authority. And his powerful authority raises our human condition and is available to us all the time for defeating our sin and our addictions, our discouragement, our divisions. Wouldn't that be good news? All of our disgust, all of who Jesus is, is available to us. Paul says, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. All because we are one with Christ Jesus. I live for being one with Jesus. I want to live in union with God. That's salvation. That's what holiness is. And that's what he came to provide. He loves us so much, the Bible says, that God, the creator of the universe, he says, well, the children are flesh and blood, and they are struggling. And he says, he himself likewise also partook of the same. How many times, to be clear, God became fully human. And he can restore and renew. He comes with healing in his wings and with righteousness and love. He comes in truth and compassion and he will cleanse us with his fire. Does anyone in here feel like you need to be made clean? He can do that. It's why Jesus came and he wants to make us pure. We talked last night about how when Adam and Eve turned from God, turned away from him, turned their faces away, what happened was there was a cosmic wound, a separation of all of humankind from God. And because of that, we are born in corruption. We are born lost. We are born a ruined race. Every single human being from the moment we are conceived, we are trapped in the captivity of sinful nature. Human persons without the breath of God, without the spirit in us. And that is why God, Jesus Christ, when from the moment Jesus was conceived, a two-celled zygote, he began to recapitulate the human dilemma. He began, he's the creator, 
and he joined himself to our nature when he was conceived. And from the minute he was conceived, he took that ruined condition and he began to recreate it. He began to restore and redeem our human dilemma. He came to set us free. And he did that by enduring every single thing it means to be a human person. He lived a human life. All of our experience of being tempted and sinned against or being trapped and burdened and oppressed and enslaved, he went through it. It's no accident that Jesus was laid in a food trough the moment he was born because he is the bread of life and we are born hungry for God. We are longing for God and Jesus is the union. He's the healing of that wound. He is the bringing back of God with human nature. He healed the separation in his own person. He's our healing, that's why Jesus is our salvation. That's why we worship Jesus. What other God in the history of the universe ever did that? None. He's the only way. There is no other way to be saved. He is our healing. He is our wholeness that Bill was just talking about. He is the true food. It's so, when the spirit, the same spirit in Genesis 1 that hovered over the expanse of the world and created all that was, that same Holy Spirit came to a young girl. and be, She was ordinary, ordinary girl. And he came to her and he proposed an idea. Could I begin making all things new. And she said, yes. And God in that moment wed himself to human nature. And when that happened, there was a new Eve. Mary is called the new Eve. He overshadowed Mary and he, the king of the universe, the creator of all the universe, reigned over all of history from inside a womb for nine months. He was the king and the recreator and the everlasting son. And Jesus became fully human, not 50%, 100% human, in order to recreate humanity. And that's you and me. So that we all can be everything he ever dreamed that we could be. Everything Jesus ever dreamed for your life, he can make real. He can recreate you. And that's what he intends to do. And that's why Jesus is referred to by Paul twice as the second Adam. He's recreating. He's gonna make us fully human persons. And so, he lived in normal human life. Did you know that when a mama is anxious, her amniotic fluid turns black and becomes toxic? I think Mary was probably a little stressed 
This was a surprise pregnancy. Anybody in here a surprise pregnancy? I was. Did you know that there is a woundedness that babies can be born with before they even come out of the womb? They can suffer the damage of breathing in the sense that they are unwanted. I want you to know if anyone here has ever experienced that, that Jesus endured the darkness of stress and being an inconvenience to a very terrified girl. And he wants to take your woundedness, and he can. We don't have to live, I am not going to live all my days bound in the woundedness of being a surprise and an inconvenience to my parents back in 1960. And none of us have to live with those wounds. Jesus, the recreator, can take your wounds if you will give those to him. Because he can make all things new. He can set us free. He went through everything that humans go through. He was a zygote. He was an embryo. He was a fetus. He was a helpless newborn. He was a two-year-old. He was a political refugee. He ran for his life. He knows what it's like to be a Ukrainian right now. And he carries our experiences and he says, give them to me. Give me your fears and your bondage, all the abuse you've endured. I have been there and I'm the creator. I'm the Lord and the authority over it all. Give me your stuff. All of it. I just get so excited about this. because he was so excited about learning everything. And I bet you had a bully of a teacher who tried to put him on medication. And his mama said, no, 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 you don't touch the wonder of my child. I bet you anything. I really do. And he was a fatherless guy. He lost a parent. And he was an adolescent when my son was 14 and he was going through all this stuff. He would talk to me and said, oh, talk to your dad. I don't want to hear about it. But I said, go to Jesus. He was a 14-year-old boy. He had every sexual temptation you are having, every single one. He lived in a pornographic, horrible, sexual, disgustingly perverted culture. I said, ask Jesus to help you. He can help you. You can receive his life and get you through this. He had adult pressures, just like we do. He was viewed as a hick because he was from Galilee and had a really hick southern accent. I was in Mississippi for 23 years. That's hard to overcome in this world. Yes, it is. Well, he knows what that's like to be thought dumb because of where he came from. He knows what that's like. He was a laborer. He suffered under oppressive taxes. He was a provider as the eldest son. He lived in horrific violence, horrible violence, all of his life. He was taught to be a racist. He was taught to hate Romans and Gentiles. And he experienced racism. If we're struggling that, we can go to him and he can help us. 
He was baptized. He entered into everything about our low estate. He knows what it's like to live in the dust of a wilderness. He identifies with us. He had a ministry, a teaching ministry, and God revealed who he was through Jesus as Jesus lived out the truth of the law, caring for the vulnerable. He is the fulfillment of every cry of the Old Testament and of every cry of your heart and of your life. He is the fulfillment. And I think about this, for those of you in leadership or pastoring or parenting, whatever it might be, he was criticized for every single thing he did. Did you ever pour your life out? Pour your heart and soul out for your children or the people you're discipling and you, and then, or you're pastoring and you show up for church one day, half your congregation has decided to go to the Baptist church. Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. He knows what it's like to invest in people and have them run the other way and break his heart. All that we go through, we can go to him and he can lift us and hold us and strengthen us. He lived a life of sacrificial obedience. He was brokenhearted. He was poor, misunderstood, abused. He was exhausted. He was lonely. He had so much grief. He did this all because he wants you to know everything you're going through. He knows. He's tasted of the reality of all of human life as your recreator. He's done it, he's lived it, and he can restore and renew. We don't have to live in despair. He's with us and he's in us. He suffered. He suffered. He was rejected. He was betrayed and falsely accused. That has happened to me. I almost died. And my counselor told me there are two things a human being cannot endure. Betrayal and being falsely accused. You can't live through it. Jesus knows. He knows. And he held me and gave me life through those days. And he will for you too. He was trafficked. He was sold. He was imprisoned. He was mocked. He was spit upon. And like millions of slaves who have whipping scars on their flesh, Jesus knows what it's like to be a whipped slave. We can go to him with all of it. He was tortured. And on the cross, he bore, not on him, in him. He took all the sin that we have ever committed and all we have ever experienced. He bears it in his being. He takes all of what it means to be a human being into himself and his death is divine and his blood is divine and his blood is a ransom 
to set us free from captivity and his blood can cleanse us from sin and he can heal every disease. All of our addictions, all of our horror. He destroys the curse of sin and death. And he's so identified with what it means to be human. Do you know that on the cross when people were crucified, they didn't die from loss of blood. They suffocated. Do you remember what we talked about last night? Jesus became a breathless clay. He bore our damnation. He suffocated. <gasps> and then he breathed an inarticulate cry of victory, a ho, over the world. And when he did, the veil tore in two and the dead walked right out of the graves. Amen. Yes, amen. Are you buried? Are you dying? Do you feel dead? Do you feel hopeless? No, no. He knows it all. And he knows what it's like to be, to feel abandoned, to feel unwanted and discarded. It is one of the most life-threatening, mind-bending, shame-producing, crippling agonies any human will be ever experience is being abandoned. We have a systemic abandonment in our culture. Children being abandoned by their parents. Jesus knows experientially. We don't have to live in that wound. We don't have to have an attachment disorder that cripples our life. We can give it to the creator. He says, no, let me set you free. I can heal you. I can heal you. He took, he went down to hell. I've been in hell. And when I went to hell, Jesus went with me. If you are in the hell of mental illness or depression, you are not alone. He crushed the devil's head down there, by the way. He killed death. He killed despair. He rose again. He rose again because he wants to put his life in us. And he ascended into heaven. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he was a fully human God. And he's on the throne. And what he has done is he has taken human nature into the bosom of the triune Godhead for eternity. In the middle of the Trinity is a human God. His name is Jesus. And he bears wounds. And those are your wounds and your broken heart. And he has a hiding place right here. And it's my favorite place in the world. And he hides us there for the unbearables. And he says, hide. I've got you. You are mine. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. And he holds us there. And he reigns. He reigns over our sin. Anybody here have a sexual addiction? He reigns over that. You never believe the lie that there's no hope for you. You never believe it. He reigns over our sinful nature. He has come to put his nature in us. That's why he came. That's why we worship Jesus. And he has come to bear us. He is our intercessor. He's human. He knows exactly what it's like to be us. He knows how to pray for us because he is us. 
And all we have to do is surrender. You can live in union with Jesus. That's what it means to be Christian. And that's what holiness is. He invites us. He says, you're mine. Don't live your life without me. I want you for myself. I have given you myself. And all we have to do is cast ourselves on him. And his arms are so great. His arms will take us. He will take all of you, all of you, just as you are. And he will bring you into his life. He will exchange your sexual history for his sexual history. He will make you clean. He will make you new. Don't miss it. And he will put at Pentecost, he takes us into heaven and he brings himself back into us. Let's come. If you want to come and receive Jesus like you've never known him before, I invite you. He invites you. He invites you. He is making all things new. Do you want to be be who you truly are. You can be a fully true you. Let's stand together. And I invite you to come if you want to pray with any one of us. If you just want to come talk to Jesus, your supper will wait. Come to Jesus.